Psalms chapter 19. While you're turning there, we begin last week on a series of messages entitled God's Not Dead, leading up to the movie that's going to be coming out, uh, or opening up this, this Friday night. We've got one or two more messages that we'll preach on this thought, but uh, this morning we're going to deal with the truth that God is real. Everybody say amen. amen. God is real. I want you to look at Psalms chapter 19. I want to read that entire chapter to you to sort of set a, base, uh, uh, a basis for us this morning on our, on our thought concerning that God is, is real. Look with me at Psalms 19 verse number 1. The Bible says, and listen to these words, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I see these words like this about something declaring something, I, I get in my mind of an old town squire, or a, what do they ever call those guys that came up and said, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. You know what I'm talking about? And he would give his announcement. He was declaring what he was going to say. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language with their voice is not heard, where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be desired than they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. There's a story of a college professor who asked one question on his final exam at the end of the semester. This was the question. He picked up a chair from his room. He set the chair on his desk and he wrote on the board. He says, using everything that we have learned this semester, prove that this chair does not exist. Now think about that with me. They had a whole semester of, of this philosophy and all these kind of things. One question on the final exam, got a chair, stuck it on the desk, prove to me after everything that we've learned that this chair does not exist. I mean, this class was, uh, you know, was sort of a weird way of thinking anyway, this philosophy class. Well, the students opened up their notebooks and they wrote as much as they could in an hour. Some of them, I mean, they turned out 20 pages and, and 30 pages of notes of why that chair that was sitting on the desk did not exist. 30 pages of 
philosophical debate and, and philosophical debate and logic and all these things of why the chair did not exist. But one student turned his paper in in less than a minute and he was the only one in class to get an A on that paper. On his paper when he turned it in, Brother Keith, it simply said what chair? What's your proof that the chair does not exist? And so in his mind, he said, well, what chair? If, if, the, if the chair does not exist, there's not even a chair up there to begin with. Well, last week, we, we begin a sermon series, as I told you, on God's not dead. And how many knows and agree with me that you and I, we still are the army of the Lord? We're soldiers of Christ. We serve under a great commander-in-chief. We're at war with a powerful and a treacherous enemy by the name of Satan. As we, as we talked to you last week, we, we understood that Satan's goal is not only to destroy us, but also to undermine God. And one of the devil's primary objectives towards the end of this, of this thing we call life is simply to attack the truths of Christianity. And if Satan can damage these truths, if he can bring disunity into the body of Christ, if he can damage these truths, then he'll weaken our faith and he'll weaken our cause. He'll weaken the church as we know it. We found that one of the primary reasons that Satan hates the truth last week is because it is his greatest weakness is the truth. If we understand and we hold to God's truths, then the devil will be defeated every time we come before him or every time he comes before us and, and tries to, to blame different things upon the Lord Jesus Christ because we hold to the truth. This morning and this Sunday, we want to deal with the truth that God is alive. God is real. God's not dead. He is alive today. Amen. And when we attack this truth, it lies at the very cornerstone of the battle plan of the enemy. He'll do whatever he can to get people to doubt that God even exists. You can go all the way back into Genesis in the beginning, very beginning, when he got Eve into a discussion about the tree. He asked Eve this question, has God indeed said, has God indeed said that if you'll do this, you'll be like him and all these kind of, has God indeed said, implying that God could not be trusted. But with others in our world today and the way that we live today, Satan begins to ramp up that movement and, and ramp up that argument. He wants to get them to the point where they not only trust God, but they, only, but they also do not even know that God really exists as they've been taught early in their life. And he wants to get people to the point that they ask this question, what God? What chair? What God? What God are you talking about? And there are people in our world today who look at what you and I believe and they ask that very question. You say, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? They either say they really don't believe in God. You look at that as we call them the atheists. Or they'll say things like, I don't even know if God really exists. Or the agnostics. Both groups basically say that we have not seen enough evidence that would get us to believe or get us to understand that there really is a God. That's the world we're living in. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've ever been faced with that before, but I've been faced with it where somebody says, you know, I really don't know if I believe in God. And the strange thing about these individuals are, is, is that these people are what, is, is the individuals that was brought up in church. Nine times out of ten. You know, I wouldn't have a problem with somebody coming to me, Brother Larry, that, that doesn't know anything about church. Doesn't know anything about God. Say, so, you know, I don't know really if God exists or not. I don't have a problem with that. 
and we can talk about that. But what I have a problem with and it's confusing to me is that somebody that's been born and bred in, the, in God's house and they still do not believe in an all-consuming God, in a powerful God, in a mighty God. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Both groups, agnostics, atheists, they say we've not seen enough evidence to believe that God exists. There's a little story about one individual, one young man one day that confronted an old Quaker one day. And he asked him this question, have you ever seen God? He was sort of taunting him a little bit. Have you ever felt God? Have you ever smelled God? Huh? And you say, there is no God or that you have a God. In other words, where's the evidence? What's the proof? And this old Quaker thought about it a little bit and he responded, hast thou ever seen thy brains? Hast thou ever felt thy brains? Hast thou ever smelled thy brains? Ha, and you say, thou haveth brains. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's altogether true, if that really happened or not, but here's the thing I do know. The scriptures agree with that old Quaker. It agrees with it. In Psalms 53 and 1, the Bible says, David declares, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Listen to me. Why would such a person be a fool? Well, because there's more than enough evidence to believe that God exists. And we're going to look at some of that this morning. And you say, well, what is the evidence, Pastor? I just read a whole chapter to you in Psalms 19 that the Bible says that David tells us why that he believed in God. The first point I want to make to you this morning is he says that the created world around us literally screams out or literally cries out that God does exist. Look back with me in, in the first six verses. The Bible says that heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display all the knowledge. There is no speech. There is no language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. What is that telling us today? It tells us that the heavens declare that there really is a God. It tells us that the skies proclaim claim the work of his hands it tells us that the voice goes out into all the earth that their words to the ends of the world that there is a God today hallelujah amen if you don't believe that go to Romans chapter 1 verse 18 it goes a little farther but it gets really I mean really in depth to us with this scripture the Bible says here in verse 18 the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and weakness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is not a confusing thing. It's plain to us. It's plain to us. Because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men... And you can put in there, ladies as well, are without excuse. They're without excuse. You want to know what this morning? The basis of godlessness is simply to ignore God. That's godlessness. That's the base, that's the foundation there, is just simply to ignore God. And at the heart of godlessness is ignoring nature's clear direction or declaration of declaring that there is a God. And you will one day stand before that God one day and give an account for that. Amen. Amen. The skeptic is godless. 
Because he or she believes or denies, rather, God's involvement in creation. If you go back in 1987, the National Academy of Science rejected creation science. And some of you may remember this. Rejected creation science as, as a science in, in, Louisiana, in a Louisiana creation, uh, creation case. And this is what they argued. They said it fails to display the most basic characteristic of science. And that is reliance upon naturalistic explanations. You say, Pastor, I don't understand that. Let me break it down for you. In other words, they just simply said they rejected creation as scientific because God would be involved in it. And if God was involved in it, they're going to have to reject it. But can I tell you that God's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still making intercession for you and I today. Amen. In other words, in their mind, creation could not have a creator because that would require something beyond a natural explanation for why the world existed. It would require a supernatural explanation. How many in the house would agree with me? We serve a supernatural God today that goes about doing whatever he feels like he needs to do for the body of Christ. He heals when he needs to. He opens blinded eyes when he needs to. He causes water to run in a stream when he feels like it needs to. I'm telling you, we still serve a God that's real today. Amen. Hallelujah. But down through the ages, scientists who didn't really entirely embrace even atheism recognized God's hand in creation. Let me give you a couple of these, and some of these you may know. There's a guy by the name of Stephen Hawking. I don't know if they've got their picture or not, but Stephen Hawking and you, you see him a lot on television even now. I don't know if he's passed away or, or not. I, I didn't look uh, recently. But this guy, he was, a, he was a foremost theoretical physicist. And this is what this guy said. He said the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like a Big Bang are enormous. He said, I think clearly that there are religious implications whenever you start to discuss the origins of the universe. There must be religious overtones in the thing of creation. Amen. There's another guy by the name of Buckminster Fuller who is a renowned inventor. And he said this. He said, when I'm working on a problem, I never think about beauty. I only think about how to solve the problem. But when I have finished, he said, if the solution is not beautiful, I know that it's wrong. Think about what he said. In other words, if the solution was beautiful, it had to be right. In other words, to him, it had to fit together like it belonged. And then it, obviously it was designed to be that way. I don't have the time to talk to you this morning about the earth and the world and the creation and all of these things and how everything was put together. But you'd almost have to be blind not to see how all of the things worked out and put together like God put them together. Hey, church, can I remind you we still serve a risen Savior. We still serve a real God today. He's not some Buddha set up on a, a platform somewhere. He's not Confucius set up somewhere. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about those gods. But there's one thing I know about. About, I know about the true God. He's real. He's real. He's alive today. He's making intercession for you and I today. Amen. Hallelujah. In his book on Albert Einstein, there's a guy by the name of Walter Isaacson. And he told of a dinner party that he was at in Berlin where everyone, everybody assumed that Einstein was an atheist. And he made this statement. He said, no, I have a deep feeling of faith. A deep religiosity that comes from my appreciation of the way the Lord made the universe. This is Albert Einstein said this. And when he said that, the story goes that everybody was stunned. Everybody was confused. 
He said he was like a child walking into a library. And you see the books and you know somebody must have written those books. And you see them ordered and you know somebody must have ordered those books. And there's a sense of awe that, that seemed to manifest in that, he said, where you can kind of understand that there's an order underlying everything and the more you appreciate it, the more humble you become to the fact that, that, that in fact of it, that Isaacson said. He went on to say that in some ways Einstein's belief in God, that God had created an orderly universe, informed his science, and he believed that underlying everything that there there are laws. Now that may not mean a whole lot to you, but that shouting words right there. Because even these guys that we didn't we didn't look to as, as godly men or godly individuals that, that didn't know if they God exists or not, they understood that there is a God. And that God put all these things together. Amen. Just the uniqueness of our world declares, the Bible says, it shouts out that we have a creator. Amen. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on the creation. Instead of the creator. Some of you enjoy traveling. You enjoy going to new parts of the, of the United States. And you see all the, the signs and the mountains and the valleys and all these kind of things. You've heard me talk about the first time I went over to the Smoky Mountains. I was in awe because of those huge mountains. And, and it was just beautiful. I love getting outside. Love getting outside. But I was just in awe. But there's a lot of other places west that I've never been, that they say, and I've saw pictures, that's, that's unbelievable, that's remarkable, in, in, in just going and looking at those things. Well, we have to understand that because of all of that, there has to be a creator this morning. There has to be a creator. Matter of fact, there was an old preacher one by the, by the name of Joseph Rogers who put the following list together one time. He said this, and I looked at some of these, and some of these are accurate. He said that if the earth was one degree closer to the sun, we would fry. Say, Pastor, that, go, go look it up. If we were one degree further away, we'd freeze. If the moon was any closer or larger, the tides would destroy the coastlines. That's a scientific fact anyway. If, a, if our distance from Jupiter was any greater, asteroids and comets would pepper the earth. If we were any closer, our orbit would become unstable. If Earth's surface gravity was any stronger, it would retain too much ammonia and methane and we couldn't breathe today. If we were any weaker, Earth's atmosphere would lose too much water and we'd not have liquid necessary to survive. If the Earth's crust was any thicker, it would absorb too much of our oxygen. We wouldn't be able to breathe. And if it was any thinner, the Earth would move and shake beneath our feet and would make life impossible. That's just a few of the things. Scientific things that we know that God exists. And these facts go on and on. That's one of the reasons David lists for his, he, you know, he lists that, that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's an old song we used to sing, God is God and he always will be God. Amen. He's God when the lightning flashes. He's God when the thunder rolls. He's God way up in heaven. He's God way down in my soul. I know God is God and God won't ever change. I know God is God and he always will be God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm getting these speakers to act up this morning. Is that me? Is the battery going out? Do I need to change mics? We going? All right, we're going to go on until it messes up. God is still God. The second thing is this. Not only does, the, does, the, does, the, does creation declare that God exists, but David tells us that God's Old Testament law declares that God exists. If you look at Psalms 19 again in verse 7, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Why? Because it revives the soul. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. There's a lot of things in Scripture that we may not like because it corrects us. 
It steps on our toes a little bit. It hits us between the eyes a little bit. But the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. And when it's perfect and we follow that, it revives our soul. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, when you come into a type of service and, and God is just moving, he's touching you and, and you're following, you're obedient, you're in obedience to him. And you're saying, yes, Lord, I know I've messed up. And yes, Lord, I know I've sinned. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of all these things and, and help me and, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and all these things. And, and you're following what the word says. When you leave out of here, you feel revived. You feel refreshed. You feel renewed. Why? Because you are lining up with the law of the Lord. That's plain this morning. That's not confusing. But when you want to sidetrack the law, when you want to go around what God says, when you want to do something different than what God says, come on, church, then you're not going to be revived. You're going to walk out of here and say, you know, I didn't feel a thing this morning. Now, I'm not saying that everybody walks out of here and says, I don't feel a thing, means you're, you know, going against the law of the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you're consciously going outside the presence of God, and you're doing things that you know that you don't have no business doing and involve yourself in, you're not going to feel revived. You can come in here all day long and lift your hands and praise God. You can come up here and shout all day long all you want to. But you will not be revived because you're simply not following the law of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and righteous altogether. They are more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold. They're sweeter than honey, even in the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward hallelujah hallelujah what are you talking about pastor i want to i don't know about you but i want to be rewarded when i get to heaven well that's that's you know that's a little prideful that's you know i don't know well look that's what the scripture says i know i'm not going to get in for nothing i've done brother reigns i understand that i understand that the only way i'm going to get into heaven is by the blood of jesus christ i have to go through jesus but i also know the word says by my works i'll be rewarded Amen. And I will get to heaven and we'll get to crowns and we'll cast them at the feet of Jesus and all of these things and, and we'll, we, we'll enjoy all of those things. But we simply have to follow the law of the Lord. Amen. What David here is declaring in Psalms 19 says that the law could not have been written by mortal men because we couldn't have done it. No way. It was too perfect. It was too trustworthy. It makes simple man wise. You know, the scripture talks about, you know, in the last days, we, we, we come across these things that, that the, God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The foolish things of the world. What's simple to you and I? It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. Talking about this, this law that God has, has given us. It's pure, the Bible says. It's enduring. It's more precious than gold, even than honey. Now, there's even skeptics in our world that will reject that. I understand that. They believe that the laws of the Old Testament were not written by the hand of God. Now, hear me today. Don't, don't lose me today. They were simply borrowed from great thinkers of the day. Now, this is where we are. And I want, I, want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about this right here. Just real quick to bring us up to where we are today. 
They, they, they were from great thinkers of the day. They'll hold up the, the great laws of the Babylonian kings, such as a man named Hammerumbai. They'll wax eloquent and how wonderfully that these wise kings were and how much the Mosaic law owed to these great thinkers of the past. That's where we received and that's where we derived all of our thinking from. But when they make these claims, they're simply not telling you the whole story. And as Paul Harvey says, let me give you the rest of the story. And if you look on it, go to Nelson's Illustrated Encyclopedia. This is just one, one fact finding here. It tells us that establishing the laws, establishing laws, the rulers of the Near East were trying to maintain a personal, political, and economic power and their image as lawgivers. Sort of sounds like where we are today, doesn't it? I don't know about y'all. This is not in my notes. And I find out I don't even should stop here and say this, but I'm going to anyway. I think it's just me. I think we need to fire every Democrat, Republican we got on the hill today. That's just me. Y'all, some of y'all feel the same way. Why? Because they've lost the reason of why they're there in the first place. It's not about America anymore. It's not about people anymore. It's not about bringing laws that would help the body of America today. It's about their own personal agendas. And they, and they tell these things and they say things based upon other thinkers from the past. And, 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 this, and this encyclopedia says that these rulers in, in creating these laws, they were just simply trying to maintain their personal, political, and economic power and their image as lawgivers. Can I tell you, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, and that's what we've got in America today. Hallelujah. A king was supposed to hand them down. The laws hand them down, clear, just, true, no matter where he got them from. In contrast, though, the Bible teaches us that God's people receive their laws from God, not from somebody else, not from another king. In many nations of the ancient Near East, the king carried the law in his head as, his, as was his personal possession, and he did not publish them until he was ready to give up his throne. In other words, the law was kept secret even when a person was put on trial for breaking that law. And there are few instances in which anyone cited royal codes in, in the court. And you can go back and study that. But in contrast today, according to Deuteronomy, the leaders of Israel, of government, read God's laws to the people at regular times of the year, every year. Matter of fact, you know this as well as I know. The, the, God told the forefathers, he said, look, you teach these to your children. Read them to your children. Tell them the stories. Tell them what happened in Egypt. Tell them what happened at the Red Sea. Tell them what happened here. Tell them what happened there. And carry my law down through the ages. Substantial difference between how God's laws and how man's law dealt with everyday problems. What are you talking about, Pat? Look, look with me. Some of you have read this just recently. There's two significant sets of laws from, from, from the Babylonian skeptics say that equated from, from the Old Testament. This is what they say. One of the law was the law of Eshunia, written about 2000 B.C. The other was the law of Hammurumai, written about 300 years later in 1700 B.C. Both of these guys punished a man whose ox gored someone in a similar way. Now, this is not my message. I'm just trying to give you an example this morning. One of these laws from Ashura Hammurum, I said this. If the ox is known to gore habitually, and the authorities have brought the fact of the knowledge to the owner, but he does not have his ox dehorned, it gores a man and causes his death, then the owner of the ox shall pay two-thirds of a mina of silver. That's not what the Bible says, is it? 
Some of you read it. This is what the Bible says. If your ox killed somebody, they find you. Their price to be paid was your animal killing, uh, killing someone. But in contrast, God's law says if a bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pinned up and it kills a man or a woman, the bull must be stoned to death and the owner must be put to death too. That's plain. Don't let your bull horn somebody. How simple can it get? Take the horns off the bull if he's going to stick somebody, right? I don't know if you've ever been stuck by a bull's horn or not. I don't want to. Don't want to I want to stay away from But if, you know, in contrast, there's a difference between the laws of men and the laws of God. And it boils down to two things. Men's laws, listen, men's laws can be changed. They can be voted on. They can be molded by human opinion. But men's laws rarely place a high value on human life. Hallelujah. But in contrast, God's laws could only be changed by God. And all of human life was valuable to him because you and I were made in the image of Almighty God. Hallelujah. 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 The law of God, the Old Testament, was far more superior to anything that man could invent because it was created by a far superior being other than man. It was created by God himself who held human life and well-being to be worth protecting, you and I. Do you understand this morning, church, that God loves you? He cares for you. You are his valued possession this morning. Hallelujah. He cares about you. And the third and final thing this morning is this. The third proof of God's existence was, was David was found in this, in God's personal relationship with him. And I hope that's where you and I are today. Psalms 19, verse 13. The Bible says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, David said. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. In other words, David came before God. And this is a great example for you and I today. He came before God expecting God to help him. When you and I are, are privileged to come into the Lord's house, every time we need to come with an expectant heart. We need to come with an expectation that God is going to help us. We have needs. There's things that we have to go through each and every day. I understand that and you do too. But when we come before God, God, I come with you. I come before you expecting because he cares about us that much. He loves us that much. We come expecting you to help us. He expected God to keep him from his willful sins. He expected God to help his words and meditations to be pleasing in God's sight. He expected God to be his rock, to be his redeemer this morning. And can I tell somebody this morning that the same God that was David's rock and the same God that was David's redeemer can be your rock today and be your redeemer today as well. Hallelujah. How in the world, how in the world did David get to the point where he expected God's help. How did he get to that point? He simply got to that point because he had grown used to. And here's, here's, a, here's a key thing for us today as church folk. He had grown used to looking for God in his life. Now, I don't have time to, to deal with this, but let me stop here long enough to tell you this. We're, we are human creatures. And if we're not careful, we always, you know, we always revert back to the same old, same old. 
You know what I'm talking about. We may change a little bit, and we may take four or five steps forward, but, but if, if, if enough time goes by and if we don't change, we're going to always go back to the same old because we're creatures of habit. Creatures of habit. And if we're not careful, we get to the place, especially in God's house, especially talking about growing deeper in 2014. We get to the place in our personal walk with God, well, Lord, I've been to church, I mean, many, many times, and, 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 and you know, we, we've worshipped you, and there just can't be nothing new. You say, Pastor, nobody thinks that. Oh, yes, they do. I have people talk to me all the time. I say, Pastor, I don't, I don't feel nothing anymore. I don't feel God's presence anymore. I don't feel the love of God anymore when I come to church. I don't feel accepted anymore when I come to church. I'll tell you something, church. There's something wrong with us when we, when we get to feeling that way. We, we have a part to play in this thing. God can only do so much. We have a part to play. I've got to initiate my praise. I've got to initiate my worship. I've got to initiate my love for the Lord. It's not all about God. God done enough. He sent his son. He died on the cross for my sins. Thereby, I need to give him recognition. I need to give him worship. I need to give him praise. Why? Because it could have been me. could have been you. But God loves you too much. And if we're not careful, if we don't, if we don't invest if we don't invest in our worship to the Lord, if we don't invest, Brother David, in, in giving God, then we are going to have that feeling, well, I don't, I don't feel God anymore. Now, I know we've all had that. I've had that feeling before. No doubt you've had that feeling before. I understand that. But look here, David, David came before God expecting God to meet him. Why? Because he had grown used to looking for God. Hallelujah. It reminds me when I was young and was, dad would take me out hunting. You've heard me tell these stories before. There's times he'd leave me at a place and I didn't like being left when I was a little little. You know, it got dark and I got scared. And I would, I want dad to come back. And I would develop ways of getting dad to come back. I'd either yell, I'd shoot my gun, I'd, I'd do something. I'd get him to come because I knew if I'd done something. Here, don't miss this. If I was, if I was, if I was going to do something, if I was going to have some action, put something to it, I knew I was going to get a response from the Father. <laughs> some of y'all ain't hearing me this morning. Some of y'all just want to sit down on your pew. Mm, I'm about to preach to you now. It's 11:59, but I'm about to preach. And we come to church and we don't do nothing. We stand, and while Sister Michelle leads us in music, we don't open our mouth. Sorry, I'm just I'm telling you where we are. We don't praise. We don't worship God. And we'll leave out wondering why in the world God doesn't touch us. Why in the world God doesn't bless us. Why? Because you ain't put nothing into it. But on the other hand, in contrast to that, you got folk coming in the house. It don't matter who's up leading music. You don't matter if we got a drummer or not. I miss the drums when they ain't here. But it don't matter if you don't have a drummer or not. It don't matter if you even got the pastor up leading music. Some of y'all weren't here last week. You missed that. You missed that blessing. <laughs> it don't matter if you got him up or not. You still going to worship. And when I think about that, I think of old brother Mosley. You used to go to our church. It didn't matter what was going on in church. It could be dry. I mean, it could be dead. It could be a dead service. But old brother Mosley going to shout. He could shout to amazing grace. While the rest of us, we didn't want to sing amazing grace. I mean, amazing grace ain't no shout music. I mean, you got to get something. God's not dead. I mean, something like that to shout to it. Or he's still alive and all of that. But Brother Mosley, amazing. 
He shout. Why? Because he was used to looking for God help in his life. He come to church with an expectation of finding God. He understood that God is alive. God's not dead. He's still alive. And for him and his soul, he was still going to worship God. It didn't matter what went on in church. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Musicians come, if you will. Later on, very quickly later on, David heard Goliath. David heard Goliath mocking God, the army of God's people. He, he became so incensed that he declared that the Lord will deliver me. He come and he said, well, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who, who, who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is defying the living God? He said, you come to me with spear and with sword. But listen, Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord, the same God that delivered me way back then with the lion and the same God that delivered me way back there with a the bear is the same God that's going to give me your head today. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And there's some of us in the house today, we need to be like little David. We don't need to come with just thinking, okay, God, I'm here. That's all I can do. Whoo, I'm here. So you're going to have to pour it on. No. God's going to have to have a little help, all right? God can only do so much. You're going to have to, you got to put a little, you got to put a little bit into it. You may have to go down to the little stream and pick up five stones because your devil's too big. Hello. You may have to go and pick up ten stones because you've got a lot of little devils you fighting. But whatever it may be, get those stones and put them in your sling and sling it and throw it at the enemy and watch what God can do. Hallelujah. 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 Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, David said? Hebrews eleven six says, without faith. It's impossible to please God. Don't you think about that just real, real quick. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every, every man's been given a measure of faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Everyone that comes to him must believe that he exists. Now, if you're here this morning and you're having trouble... And you, you're, you're part of this crowd of, I'm not sure if there's a God. And you make statements like, I, 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 Pastor, I've prayed. I, I, boy, I've prayed. But I'm just not sure. Your prayers, it, it, you're, just, you're just saying idle words. Because Hebrews tells us, if you come to Him, you got to believe that He exists. 